What's going on, guys? AJ here, back again with another episode of the E1B2 Collective Podcast. And yes, this is another episode of Let's Talk Startups with Courtney Real. She is my guest. She was amazing. She killed it. She crushed it. Frankly, we crushed it. Um, and, and, and we talked about a lot of things, guys. We talked about startup operations. We talked about uh, venture capital. We talked about investing. We talked about uh, some new ideas that she's pondering and things that she's interested in. Uh, we talked about what else did we talk about? We talked about people operations, of course. We talked about the uh, the E1B2 Collective and Startup EX and her opinions on those things and, and her opinions around how founders should be thinking about people operations. And then we jumped right back into just more depths around startups overall. Uh, this one was a really, really solid episode. I'm really proud of this. Uh, this was an amazing conversation. It really honestly felt like we were we were two old friends uh, that are just catching up after seven months, after eight months, after two years, grabbing a nice cocktail uh, in in the middle of Manhattan. Uh, you know, I don't know, I don't know where that came from, but uh, that's kind of the vibe that I got when I played it back and listened to it. Uh, so I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was a great episode. Thank you so much, Courtney, and thank you to everyone that has already decided to mentally uh, click the subscribe button or click the play button and listen to this episode. Uh, anyone that has that like locked into the subconscious and and knows for a fact that anything that I put out, they're going to listen to. Thank you. Um, and then thank you to all the new subscribers and all the new listeners and everyone that has been consuming this podcast for a little bit over a year now. We are consistently moving around the 5, 10, 15,000 uh, downloads uh, per month, which I'm very grateful for. You guys guys know I often say this I'm not a podcaster by uh, by 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 from a from like a Joe Rogan this is my profession standpoint but it's something I genuinely believe in and I and I just love to bring value and I love to share thoughts and I love to bring individuals on that I hope to do uh hope to conduct work with at some point so that you guys can learn from them and then as I develop collaborations and partnerships and learn from them you guys will eventually get uh some of the individual content that I put out and hear some of the those themes and some of those learning experiences. So thank you so much again, Courtney. Uh, I'm going to shut up now. I am very excited for you guys to listen to this episode. So let's jump into another episode of Let's Talk Startups. Who you are for a moment so they know uh, who I am talking to. And, and I am really am excited for this conversation. Um it's it's again we were joking offline it's it's been a been a very long time it seemed as though it was like from 1947 the last time <laughs> we talked so um here we are and give uh give us maybe a 45 second highlight reel yeah awesome i know this year has been a whirlwind and so we're in december things are looking up and um i'm so excited to get to chat with you today i know we have a long list of items to get through and so I'll quickly introduce myself. My name is Courtney Real, originally from Colorado, grew up in a very entrepreneurial household um, and very quickly figured out that entrepreneurs are the people who solve the world's problems um, and are the ones who go go make things happen. And that's very aligned with my, my personality of loving to achieve and help people and connect people. And so that's you know where I dip my toe in the water with entrepreneurship. Um, really pivotal point in my career was my senior year of college. I was studying entrepreneurship and finance and got um, tapped on the shoulder by a really awesome professor in college who said, hey, you need to come check out this program in Silicon Valley. Um, so my senior year of college, I ended up kind of basically, quote unquote, studying abroad in S Silicon Valley and went to a program run by Tim Draper, who is famous in the venture community as a you know, family generational venture capitalists. And instead of studying entrepreneurship, I went and started a company. And so started a company my senior year of college in the travel tech space. So back in logistics for vacation rentals, um, knew nothing about coding or how to build a platform. So that was quite a journey. I ended up getting two co-founders um, who coincidentally enough lived in Hawaii. So my senior, or my, right after I graduated college, I hopped on an airplane, moved to Hawaii, um, helped that startup raise some venture capital, took them through an accelerator. Um, but really at the end of the day, I realized vacation rental management is not what I want to do for the rest of my life or is what I'm crazy passionate about. So I went back to 
Draper U, um, was an entrepreneur in residence there. And then I went on to lead business development, which was an amazing job, got to help entrepreneurs all over the world, figure out how to come to Silicon Valley, how to get connected and how to raise capital there. And then after that journey, I went on and led investor relations for a fund called Portfolia, which is another really amazing experience, got to help lots of women become LPs or limited partners in our venture funds. Um, helping to solve the equation of how do we get a more women invested in and more women to invest. And then lastly, I have moved to Austin, Texas. I did it right before the pandemic, had no idea um, what was going to happen in 2020, but landed in Austin in February. And then now I work for a late stage venture capital fund, an accelerator called Capital Factory. So um, really exciting time to be in Texas. Um, and really exciting time to be part of this ecosystem. So I'm sure we'll dive into all of that. But really, I just love helping people and entrepreneurs figure out how to go achieve really audacious big goals. So two things. Uh, the first is, um, I know this is probably rude of me to ask, but um, uh, I, it's almost 2021 now. So I think uh, may, maybe this point of view has changed. I don't know, but I'm just going to ask it. You're still young, too, correct? <laughs> Yeah, still young, 20-something. Um, it's funny, I always get this question. Um, so in a couple of weeks here, I turned 25. That's my exact point. Yeah, I just I just freaked out again. Because I remember when I talked to you, you, and it's not that you don't look young. Unlike me, I feel like I look like I'm 49. Um, you you actually do. It's just the age uh, is, is, is uh, it's just startling because everything you kind of unpack now doing the math happen in like a, a five-year, four-year window rather than the way it kind of lays out. It seemed like that was like a seven to 10-year window. Yeah, I I, um, I don't know how I crammed it all in. I think it's just, and you know, I've always been overly persistent and love to go, you know, try to figure out how to do big things. And so it's kind of, you know, not all of it's work. There's been um, some really hard struggles through all that, but I'm lucky to have a very supportive family and community who, you know, is no longer surprised when I want to, you know, uproot and move to a different country or start a company or anything like that. So really lucky to have a, a good home base. Well, let's go back to the company thing for a second. Cause I did, I, did you tell me that when we first met? I don't know. Uh, you know, the whole story gets a little jumbled sometimes. No, it's okay. So sometimes I uh, leave it in, leave it out. Um, or no, I, I don't know if we talked about it the first time we chatted. Well, no, I want to, I want to ask you just a question about it. So if, if you remember, I'm 30 again, I always say 47, but I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm 30, <laughs> you know, funny fact, I do this, like, I do this like thing where I like, I push my age up six months. I've been saying I'm 30 for like eight months. I'm actually turning 30 on January 9th. Nice. So I'm not I, even 30 I, yet. Uh, but uh, I constantly forget my age. I'm like, you know, when you're young and someone forgets that you're five years old, you get really upset of like, how come no one can remember my age? And now I sometimes I'm like, wait, is is this my 25th birthday? What are we on now? Exactly. So age is just a number. Exactly. So um, pandemic has ruined it because I definitely not to be an actually this isn't inappropriate. It's all adults listen to this. I definitely was going to. We forget my name on my 30th birthday uh, <laughs> and have a good time. But that uh, that's not happening now, which is not good. But anyway, well, maybe it is good. Um, so my question to you is going to be, we're in the same age bracket. So I think um, I just, you know, I, I find it very interesting around the 20 somethings, early 30s, the perspectives, the challenges, the experiences seem to be similar but very different right and and and, mm-hmm. and our and our perspectives and our and our values and and the challenges that we face uh, talk to me about the number one let's go down a, a rabbit hole for a second talk to me about the the number one problem you faced when when starting the company either just at a macro level but really I'm trying to unpack some of the problems you may have faced when it when it pertained to marketing branding or people so those three areas i want to see how far along you got in the process and if you any of those problems came up and then just at a macro what do you think your biggest issue was of of why 
that company is either no longer here, why you weren't passionate about it, why you ended it. Um, talk to me about the, the depth of that, if you can. Yeah, I, there's a lot to unpack there. So the company's still around. They're doing really well. I'm in touch with the co-founder still. And, um, you know, they're, they're doing really well. Um, and I just decided, hey, this isn't something I want to be in long term. Um, so I, I think that really relates to your question of what was the hardest thing about starting a company. It was 21, 22 at the time is you don't know what you don't know, which is a bonus and you know, a negative in that you have an amazing amount of energy to just go try things um, and talk to people. And you just have, you know, the ability to someone says, no, great, let me turn around and ask a different way or go ask someone else or just, you know, I think not knowing what you don't know is a giant blessing, but it's also extremely frustrating because you get the same question as, oh, you're 21 years old, how are you going to start a company? How are you, there's just more pressure of how are, you going to, how are you going to figure this out? And there's a lot of things you just don't know. Um, and I would say the biggest challenge for me with that company was I knew the problem because my parents had owned a vacation rental. I had watched them try to figure out how to manage this. I had traveled quite a bit myself, so I'd stayed at a bunch of vacation rentals but I didn't have the technical ability to go build this software. So the hardest part for me and everyone, as I was pitching the idea and talking to people about it, they would say, you know, where's your CTO? Why don't you have a CTO? Where's your, you know? And I was like, I had just been trying to prove that this could be a viable business, let alone add any, you know, chief technical officers. It's not sophisticated software. So that was the biggest problem I ran into. And I think entrepreneurs don't have that as much today, which is really exciting because we have platforms like No Code and Bubble and all of these that allow non-technical people to build a really great MVP that they can start building revenue and traction with. So on your terms of like marketing and branding and all of that, the first thing was I had to figure out how the hell to get a product <laughs> to market because, uh, you know, it was really hard at the time as a, a non-technical founder to go find someone who was also passionate about vacation rentals and figuring out how to work together to build, you know, a software platform with really limited abilities. I went to, you know, I went to all the coding camps and networked there and was for a, you know, couple weeks done, I was like, shoot, I'm just going to learn how to code myself, figure it out very quickly. I'm not a coder type. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I think that was the hardest part, um, which now looking back, there's a lot of things I know after, you know, only a few more years down the road uh, that I think would have been really helpful to know back then. Did you guys, did you personally, because you, you said the company's still around, did you personally get to the point where there were, um, there, there were, there were any employees involved or any, any team involved? Yeah, so three co-founders, an army of interns, um, and then we had a couple software developers that were um, international. Talk to me about your biggest challenge when you had the army of interns, aka, you know, whether they're paid or not paid, at the end of the day, you had humans there doing things, whether they were paid or not paid, you know, executing your ideas, your vision, you know, you know, dealing with behaviors, like talk to me about some of the challenges there, if you can. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm fascinated if you had any. Yeah, I think the biggest problem is when you're, you're such a small team, you're trying to figure out how to, what should I be doing today? What is the most important thing for me to be working on to keep my business afloat? And, you know, they, what's the saying? Startups don't die from starvation. They die, they die from indigestion. You're, there's just so much going on that it's so hard to focus. So for me, and this is, you know, being young and starting a company, it was my first time starting a company and my first time managing anyone. <laughs> I think my only other real management experience before then was I was a lead lifeguard. So I was in charge of the other lifeguards at the pool. Um, which is totally different than, yeah. you know, trying to tell an into, Hey, I'm trying to figure out what it's, you know, my title is chief revenue officer. I'm trying to figure out how we get more revenue. And it's also, I'm trying to tell you who you also don't know what you're doing, what it, you know, where to spend your time. So 
I think that was, you know, something I've tried to invest a lot of my time in, you know, learning over the last couple of years of kind of watching other management styles and reading and learning of just how do you, how do you be a good manager and how do you delegate things well and how do you keep a team focused? Because that's the, that's the hardest thing on a startup. There's so many avenues to turn and look at, but keeping everyone focused and keeping motivated and keeping on track is really, really hard to do. So that's something I spend a lot of time just trying to observe others. Cause I think, I think if you're going to be a successful founder, that is the most important skill to have is how do we just keep marching on and keep focused? Were there, were there any other things, the, the army of interns that, that um, was troublesome to, to get used to or, you know, and, and you're and you're probably already assuming why I'm asking. Um, you know, again, since we talked in 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 the 1940s, you may or may not remember everything, but um, <laughs> you know, the basis of of everything that I'm doing is around very early stage, and then you know, startups that are you know 70, 80 employees plus. So it, it's so it's on the spectrum between an employee, you know, an employee base or a company based, brand based, startup base of four co-founders and a, and a fleet of interns all the way up until you have a hundred employees part-time and full-time series B you're really trying to grow. Um, that's the whole gamut that I'm running and we are running my brand and you know, everything we're doing is around really helping them understand how to operationalize employee experience and people operations at even the beginning stages and all the way up. So um, just, just fascinated what, if there are any other things that that you were feeling like a couple categories may be like, um, you know, w- did you struggle with micromanagement? Did, did you struggle with did you struggle with a lack of um, a lack of uh, a, a lack of autonomy? Did you struggle with a lack of, of of feeding and living deeply into the interns, a.k.a. your your really your team, your employees and. And, and having a bunch of ideas being spread around and, and, and being able to feel comfortable trusting those ideas and creating a safe environment and, and, and having that show up tangibly. I don't know if any of those things were issues for you, but were there any others that were, that were any problems that you had? Yeah. I mean, I, I really think the big problem was just figuring out how to manage or how to delegate. I, I think by nature, I am a mm. self-starter um, and am just someone who goes, you know, I like to just be given the problem set and say, okay, Courtney, go figure out how to do it. And I think it was, you know, uh, a wake up call to me that, you know, you've got to figure out that everyone's brain isn't wired like that. And some people like, you know, hey, I want a task that is do X, Y, and Z, and here's how to do it exactly. Mm. So I think it was learning to, you know, match, um, kind of everyone's personality type and realizing that, you know, the way I work and the way I like to do things and the way, you know, I visualize things or, um, you know, understand concepts is a lot different than other people and like, you know, vice versa. So I think figuring out, you know, up front, Hey, this is how I, I forget who it is. I, one of the CEOs, the CROs of a big company, she writes a memo of how to work with yeah. her. Oh, this God. is how she likes to hear things. This, I, it's, it's. No, 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 no. Keep <laughs> going. I'm about to lose my is. mind. You're talking about something I love so much. So keep going. So I think it's really interesting. I think one was a lot of, you know, and I think this has been over the last couple of years of really figuring this out about myself, but how do I work? How do I think about things? What am I best at? And then figuring out how to plug other people into that equation um, and how to, I'm not a micromanager at all. Um, almost starkly the opposite, which was, you know, okay. So sometimes you have to <laughs> follow up with people and figure out, you know, like using a tools like Asana or Trello or Airtable or however you're going to product manage and project manage. Um, we used Google Slides at the time because we couldn't afford another subscription on our bill, you know. So I think it's just, one, figuring out your own personality. Two, figuring out the personalities of the team and figuring out, you know, how how do we best accommodate to our abilities 
we had very thin resources at the time, and you know, most startups do, to make this work. And really thinking about that from the front end of when we're, you're bringing someone onto the team of, you know, I like the whole saying of a culture ad, not a culture fit, but figuring out how, how is this person going to work in our team? What are the gaps that this person is going to so, gonna All right. In? So I was literally about to like bash my head through the wall here because I was so excited to talk. Uh, <laughs> and I've learned, uh, thank God to you, I've learned to be very patient and not interrupt. I hate listening to podcasts where people interrupt. So, um, uh, but I have so many thoughts. And then what we're going to do is we're going to hop more into like some, I don't want to use the word traditional startup stuff because I think I think everything we're talking about is incredibly uh, valuable, but there's some other things. But a couple of things on what you just talked about. I want to talk about the memo you just brought up, and then I want to talk about living into someone's personal learning and execution styles. That's the way I kind of interpreted everything you were talking about. So two things. Um, why I brought that up is I'm, you know, part of the reason why I wanted to there's three reasons why I want to, con- to connect with you and so many others, right? You know, through you, directly with you, there are things that I want to learn. I want to experience. I want to network. I want to, you know, just, just be around you, the things that you're involved in, the people that you're working with. And then also, more importantly, you have a certain POV that I just particularly don't have that I really need to unpack. And so when you brought up the memo thing, um, there's something that I'm working on that is incredibly interesting that is a similar complexity that I would love. I mean, I guess you kind of just gave me your point of view on it because obviously there's a great founder that's already doing that. Um, I have an initiative called uh, Beyond Brand. And essentially the long story short of it is I think it is incredibly valuable and incredibly important for founders and managers um, internally inside of companies to unpack their brains in the beginning of the hiring process around how they think through problems, you know, what some of their shortcomings are or may not be as a leader, you know, how, you know, how they best communicate, how, how, how someone would best learn uh, or execute alongside them. These are things that leaders, people just need to unpack to other humans as you bring them onto your organization. Um, so whoever um, whoever that was that did the memo, I, I didn't catch the name because I was so excited. Um, that is incredibly, incredibly <laughs> valuable. Um, I'm actually trying to do some things where I'm literally just talking to founders to do just that because there's so much great ROI there. Um, and then the last thing, and I don't know if you have any thoughts on this little rant that I'm doing, but the the last thing is, what I just internalized when you were talking about understanding the interns execution styles and learning styles and and all these other things and communication styles for that matter as well. um, That is so vital as well. Like being able to contextually be comfortable with everyone's contextual realities and, um, and, and and to live into that and be, and be comfortable in that because it's it's incredibly uncomfortable at times. Um, so my question to you would be, and then if you have a statement around that whole rant I just gave, is that a common, I think it is, right? The people that I've been around and the startups founders that I've been around with, with your investments, with the brands you've been associated with over the last four or five years now, are those problems common? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's hard to like, Ideally, we'd all love to spend time figuring out one, I think, figuring out how you work as a single person and then on a team and so on and so forth. But it's really hard to find the time you're trying to figure out how to do something that no one's done before. Um, You're basically flying a plane and building it at the same time. And so if you're also trying to figure out how the co-pilot likes to fly, it's a lot going on. So, I mean, it's another, another one of the things that comes with starting a company. But I think it's one of those things that if you address too late, That's the point, then it becomes right? a big yeah. problem, which is culture as a whole. If you don't, you know, I think this is one of those things where, you know, when it's just two co-founders in a garage and if you're, the culture isn't, you know, I'm sure everyone's heard this before. It's not the things you write when you have 200 people plus at your company and you write it on a poster and you say, we're really hardworking. Well, if when you were back in the garage and you were done at 3 p.m., 
you're not, you're not hardworking, you know? So it's, I think culture and these things are things that you, that happen, whether you think about them or not, when you're really small, um, if you're not super intentional about it. But with that being said, it's, you know, your hair's on fire, pants are on fire, everything's on fire. So it's really hard to think about those things, but they make or break a company, I think. And that's, that's part of my own investing thesis is, it's that's interesting for- you bring that up. And again, that's, I f- I'm feeling great on this, on this podcast already. Cause that's really, you know, that's really some of the foundation of, 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 of what I'm working on and what I genuinely believe in. It, it, it is a timing thing, right? It's, it's, it's a, it's, it's a weird timing thing because like, for example, and I think I alluded to pre podcast, a lot of, you know, since this is in my, my DNA and kind of the way that I think, I'm doing, frankly, I'm probably doing too much of that right now because I know the issues that can happen. Like I'm, I'm being so proactive. It's probably annoying to some partners right now and some employees that I have, <laughs> but, but I know, yeah. you know, similar to you, I started a company at 19. I started another one at 21. I'm now 30 kind of. Um, and, um, and, and I'm feeling, you know, those issues that I had at 19 and 21 and the things you just talked about, I know, I know where that road goes, right? Like, and that's one thing that to your Mm -hmm. point, I think a lot of founders are struggling to really, well, first of all, I don't even think they're conscious of the timing thing. Like if they don't, if they don't listen to this podcast or if they don't have amazing mentors like yourself and any other colleagues that you may have, that's the biggest problem, right? They don't even, they're so head down trying to like, just put out the fires and just keep afloat that they're not even realizing their demise is not that their demise is coming and it's not folks. So the Mm -hmm. the timing is such an odd thing. Um, So, so talk to me about this. I'm in the process of doing some things right now, so I could really use this advice as well. Um, You know, what are your thoughts around an MVP right now? Try to go a little bit out of the box here. I think, with every blog that we read, whether it was with with um, with First Capital or uh, Forbes or I don't know, all these different blogs that are out here, you know, uh, Y Combinator has a great uh, plethora of content. Give me give me uh, something out of the box if you have it. If you don't, you can definitely give us the the traditional kind of point of view around MVP. I mean, at the end of the day, traditional point of points of views are traditional for a reason. Like they're there and they're important. But are, are there any out of the box perspectives around an MVP that maybe you can you can share that I think would be uh, new to hear. Yeah, so I think let I'm gonna try and put a new spin on MVP <laughs> here, but I think try and use MVP as MVP for the business as a whole, not MVP for just your product, right? So. We were just talking about people and we've talked offline about co-founders and I think people is the best part of a startup and the absolute hardest part of a startup. So I think founders should look at an MVP as one, do, am I passionate enough about this problem to go build on the side on, you know, during, after my day job or on the weekends to work on this project? Second part do I want to work with my co-founder on this part of the project? So using MVP as a way before you write anything down legally or start an LLC, or can you just kind of play with it and see if this is a space or an area where you see an an opportunity? You know, right now I'm in uh, working with Capital Factory and an investor there, but one day um, I will want to get back in the saddle and be an entrepreneur again. And so on the side, I tinker with ideas. And there's a lot of ideas that I've played with for, you know, two or three weeks. And then I find out, hey, this was a stupid idea. I don't want to work on it anymore. But I didn't go down the rabbit hole of quit my job, put my life savings into it and find out three months later that it was a dumb idea. I tinkered with it on the side. So I think in terms of MVP, use it as a whole and, you know, can this really work? How would I put it together before I often talk to a lot of early, early stage entrepreneurs who are thinking already about raising capital and, you know, where they're going to have their headquarters and just getting so far down the line 
and I've been in this boat too of what the brand's going to look like and the marketing and without even kind of starting with the formation. So my two cents on MVP is, can you even just start and see if this is something you can put an hour every day into before you dive in full head? Because I think that's how people talk to me about the ideas. Um, Are you familiar with my first million? Do you like podcasts? I don't think so. Will you promise to consume <laughs> one more hour of my podcast at some point in your lifetime? Thank you. I promise um, you. Uh, my First Million is a great podcast. Are you familiar with Sam Parr? Oh, gosh. Uh, okay. I'm not. You got some hope. I need to get out Sam- more. <laughs> I, so I Sam Parr, uh, and I can't from pronounce the other guy's name that runs the podcast they run a podcast about you know startups and their first million but what what it's really turned into is an idea generating machine so for 60 minutes they just talk about ideas um and then sam par runs um sam par runs a newsletter called the hustle uh, oh, that's okay. good See? yes i know that's hustle. even it's like, okay, it's like, I think I have heard You know what, though? That's even better, before. right? That's, that uh, shows that the brand has taken over the the, uh, the personal brand. Um, And so, yeah, yep. he's doing that. Uh, and I'm really fascinated by email newsletter businesses. I have tried to start four in my head. Back to your point, right? Taking an hour a day, two hours a day, formulating things and realizing that, yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing this shit. Um, what are some ideas you're pondering? I don't, I don't, I know, I know you're still working as, you know, I know you're internally right now. So I don't want to make anyone uncomfortable that may listen to this at some point, but I promise you she's not running away yet. Um, um. <laughs> no, I, and, and we talked about, you know, working at an entrepreneurial company, Perfect. everyone's always thinking about Give other an things. Idea. And, um, you know, for me, for me right now, I'm really looking at what, are the trends and the things that are going to be most important after, you know, I think if this year has shown us anything, it's shown us what's really important. And there's a really interesting, if I can speak English, it's still early here, um, trend with investing. So we've gotten to a point, at least here in the US, where we have reached a really high standard of living, right? Like, we can go do Airbnb and we have Uber and the fact that you can get food to your house within two hours of any type of cuisine you want is amazing. So the interesting thing is we're kind of going back to the, you know, high low, what is it? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not very um, educated. So I'm going to be able to help you. It's okay. I need more coffee. <laughs> it's a hierarchy of needs. Um, I just, it's, Based on the gentleman's Maslow, name. Maslow. Um, but it's basically Maslow. Yeah, Thank it you. Is. It's early. <laughs> and so, you know, we've reached basically the top of that pyramid of, you know, you can really get anything. So we're seeing a lot of companies go back to the bottom and thinking about where you sleep. There's a lot of people who don't have great housing, affordable housing. So we've seen there's a company in our portfolio that is figuring out how to 3D print housing. You know, water is a huge topic of how are we going to be able to continue to, as we grow the population, think about these things. So this is kind of an area I've been spending time um, just learning about and educating myself. Energy is obviously a huge sector um, that is going to need to change very quickly, especially in my neck of the woods of Texas. So we have a huge opportunity um, to either become let think of the past with oil and gas or think about how we're investing in clean energy and new energy sources. Um, and then the third is food. I think we've realized as a society how important getting access to nutritional um, beneficial food and you kind of see this trend and I think it's really interesting like what impossible foods have done um, of you know how do we make the everyday consumer think about eating less meat? Or how do we help them think about adding more vegetables to their diet? And there's also another trend within health of how do you take care of yourself before you even see a doctor? Because the way our healthcare is set up today is that you're only really getting seven minutes a year with your primary care doctor. 
And that's not enough time to figure out, hey, Anthony, you know, you should be doing this or this, or here's a tiny tweak you can make to make your, you know, your life either longer or better. And so there's these really interesting things that are, you know, basic concepts, but that we get to now we're in an opportunity. And I think COVID has highlighted this to fix some of those things or readjust and make sure that everyone is getting access to Do those resources. Do you feel like, um, here's an interesting question for you. Do you feel like, um, cause everything you talked about seemed like trend. I don't want to use the word chasing, but trend following big gargantuan major problems that are so important, that are so vital. Do you feel like, um, do you feel like we've forgotten about the, you know, the scratch your own itch. So, so, so follow with me here if you can. You know, I kind of come from that cloth. Um, and it's probably because of my, maybe not, mm-hmm. I don't even think it's because of my age. I just think it's just maybe how different entrepreneurs are designed. Because, I, you know, I put different entrepreneurs into tiers, right? I mean, I, I, I think of your, I think of your, like, your local plumber or, like, your local builder or, like, your local shit. A, a real estate agent is an entrepreneur to some degree, more of, like, a salesman or like your local, like, you know, uh, you know, stay at home mom that, you know, really enjoyed like creating things and inevitably created like a Shopify store. Like I think of like, that's a tier. And then it goes into like the scratch your own itch tier where you really try to build much more than just yourself around it that I'm kind of doing where like when, you know, my, and when I when was 19, I started a year round football academy with a partnership with Under Armour because I wish I would have had year-round coaching and I, I kept getting that feedback when I went to university and played football and then my second company was a partnership consultancy firm because I feel like a lot of startups uh could uh could utilize more partnership design uh disciplines and principles and, and, and frameworks and then the companies that I'm starting right now um are all based around the lack of startups and small businesses putting employees first at a very operational level and how that can affect the bottom line. Cause I personally made a mistake when I was 19, losing a company, not doing that. Um, but what you just talked about were very massive, big gargantuan macro human being problems or issues or interesting complexities or trends. Do you honestly, like, I don't know, like, do you think we as a, as a society at a, at a macro scale, maybe not at a micro, have forgotten about the scratch your own itch scenario. And a lot of kids are trying to chase the big trends or the big problems. What are your thoughts on that? I think a couple of things. So first I'll start off with one thing I recommend anyone who wants to get into venture capital or is thinking about being an investor is start to write. This is the advice I got your fantasy fantasy thesis. So what are your rules for who you want to invest in and trying to find companies similar to that? So the first one um, on mine is I don't work with jerks. So there's a lot of awesome people in the world um, and I don't want to work with anyone I don't want to work with. So that's the first one. The second one is they have to be a customer of their own problem. So I think it's really hard to start a business that you know nothing about. Um, certainly it's possible, but I want to invest in entrepreneurs who are a customer of their own solution because I think they have the most insight. So I think that goes to your scratch your own itch of you should know, you know, if you, I find it very strange that, you know, a 50 year old is trying to start a millennial dating app. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make any sense to me because you're not a part of the target market. That's an easy example, but I've seen a lot of different things like this. So if you're not in that bracket, how do you understand, you know, how your end user is thinking and how they're going to use it? Now, there's the flip side of that coin where you can be a little bit too confident. Um, and, you know, I know that every millennial is just like me and here's how we think. So there's a balance to that. But I want to invest in founders that are customers of their own product. But to answer your question about kind of, I think there's different tiers of entrepreneurship. Um, not that one is better than the other. So you kind of have, like you mentioned, lifestyle companies where it's, hey, this is really great. This is revenue generating. I can support my lifestyle and maybe some others. And I don't have to think about outside capital. That's one bucket. 
And the second bucket is venture capital. Um, that's where you need outside capital to come help fund your business. Now, it looks really glamorous and sexy and cool to raise venture capital, but it's also extremely hard because if I give you a dollar today, it's because I borrowed a dollar from an investor and I owe them $10 in 10 years. So I have to make bets that are going to be outsized returns. That's the whole game. And so I think with these, you know, all those things that I just mentioned, there's startups that are solving little pieces of that that are going to be, you know, very big outcomes here in five to 10 years. If you think about the companies now um, that are filling big gaps like Uber and Airbnb and Slack, and you can go down the whole list. But the interesting thing is with those is people forget they started very, very small. Airbnb stands for air bed and breakfast because they started it as a company where they were running out of rent and needed to figure you know, rent money and needed to figure out how to make ends meet. And so they put some air beds on their floor and rented them out during a big conference in San Francisco. Um, and then it grew into Airbnb. So I think it's a mix. I think it's a really interesting balance. I think as a founder, you have to know, do I want to build a lifestyle company or do I want to go build a venture backed company? And those are two totally different paths. Equally, both hard, but you just have to know what you want to get into. And if it's venture capital, we, we need big outside. Very interesting. That, that all is very true. Um, I do. Have you ever seen venture capital or, or, or even just like the, you know, the angel investing, you know, I don't know. Like, have you ever seen, have you ever seen them invest in like consulting or things that are not product or not tech? I mean, there's lots of different type of investors, um, traditional venture capital and even traditional angel investing. I would say no, because you really exactly. need something that scales. So traditionally consulting can't scale by nature. I mean, you can hire more people, but that doesn't give you a venture capital outcome return. Um, I have seen on the flip actually, consulting companies figure out, I talked to one yesterday, hey, we, you know, consulted all of the big Fortune 500 and we figured out that they're missing X. And so we built product X and now we're going to yeah. raise venture financing for that, you know, that side of the business. That's extremely successful because they've spent a lot of time really intimately getting to know their customer and the problem. And they said, hey, we're talking to 50 people who can write big checks that have the same problem, why don't we just go build something for this? So I have seen quite a few times where those kind of businesses flip um, and become great venture-backed companies, but a consulting practice is going to most likely end up a lifestyle company. Yes, 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 yeah. I was, gonna, I was actually going to push back a second, but I just remembered your definition. So, yes, in the eyes of everything we just did, in the context of what we described, uh, a thousand, a thousand percent. Um, all right. Here's my final question. My final two questions, one selfish. And then my final question is just going to be just at a macro level. Like, you know, do you personally, well, I guess I'll start with the second question first and then I'll, and then I'll end with my personal selfish question. Um, you know, what what's the timetable on you jumping back into the entrepreneurial sleep seat slash um you know where do you think your gut really is leaning towards when it comes to starting a new business like what would that be i know you've given me a couple of things that you're looking at but if you if, if i were to say look you know you have to start a company today like it's not it's not it's not an option um <laughs> what, what would you do and then and then my final third part of third part of that 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 this whole question is you know what have you learned through what have you learned since 20 2019 i don't know how old you were when you graduated from college so 19 20 21 however old you were what have you learned from then until now that you mm -hmm. really think would make you a thousand times better of an entrepreneur to be able to run and lead a company so give me some insights on those things 
Yeah, those are two perfectly combined questions. So I'll answer the second one first. Um, I think the biggest thing I've learned is consistency compounds. Um, so I got a degree in finance. So I learned about, um, you know, the, the factor of compounding. So the more you keep at an idea or a North Star, the bigger it builds. So I think throughout my journey, I've learned, you know, make sure before you jump out of a saddle, it's something that you can be consistent about and can, you know, want to be consistent about. And I think those are the most successful entrepreneurs, the ones who can, you know, of course you get your teeth knocked out every day, but continue to get back up and get in the saddle and keep going. And so I also love this quote. I don't know who says it, uh, but uh, courageous participation gets exciting results it's something to that degree of like just showing up and continuing to do it brings you you know brings you to really cool places and I think you know doing things like starting a podcast or starting a company or whatever it is and just trying it just seeing if it works just figuring it out um you know I can see it in your journey and see it in my journey and a lot of other entrepreneurs just showing up uh, brings really cool things. So I think I've learned a little bit of patience <laughs> over the last couple of years of just, you know, I'm trying to remind myself, I'm sure you probably have a similar problem of you don't have to be on the Forbes 30 under 30 list or achieve it all by the time you're 40 and then retire early. I want to be in this game for a long time. So I think I'm trying to set up a career and a lifestyle and, you know, investing in a lot of things outside of work of paying attention to my mental health and my physical health and just making sure that I have a lifestyle that I really enjoy. Um, and so to your question of when do I think I would jump out and start a company? Not anytime soon. Um, I think this is a really awesome time to be an entrepreneur. I think um, if you go look back at kind of the other recessions or hard times in America, that's when a lot of really great companies have been started. Um, but I'm kind of in a phase of just watching and learning. Um, and I think if, you know, if you held a gun to my head and said, you have to start a company today, it would definitely be in the community space. I think COVID has taught us a lot about, you know, what happens when we're all isolated and can't be around people. And so, um, I had a, I didn't mention this earlier, but had a company called Rise Her for female founders, first employees, um, and investors back when I was working at Draper and did a lot of happy hours and all these really awesome in-person events. And that's what launched my podcast and my blog and all of that. And so I think if I were to go back and start a company today, it would be around um, community and bringing people together and you know, really, I think, you know, takes a village to do anything. And so helping people to get back connected together. So, you know, we'll see one day. Um, certainly we'll be getting back in the saddle. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate that perspective. And yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with the um, with the community, with the, with the community vibe there. That um, that is definitely something that um, I found very interesting and I want to see more bubble up you know i think i think obviously the major social media platforms clearly have a community atmosphere to them but i think there's so many small niches and pockets that people can jump into um yeah you got my yeah you got my mind going anyway yeah uh, i'm not gonna go down that rabbit hole um <laughs> so let my selfish question um i brought this up to you so i'm you seem like a straight shooter so i'm gonna be a straight shooter what advice can you give to me with you personally, directly, and your network, whether it's, you know, the, the projects you're working on, the investors you're around, the, your day-to-day, your -day, and, then, and then at a macro level with other angel investors, with other advisors, with other venture capital, with other incubators and venture studios, and, and the list can go on and on. Um, what I'm trying to do is very, very clear, I think, to me, and I want to get better at communicating that vision while also being very empathetic around the partnership connection um, format. Again, like I told you, I ran a partnership consultancy firm for three years, and all I did every day is I had people around me, and all we did was study and break down how to 
unpack human behavior, how to unpack partnership, how to unpack leverage, things of that nature. And so um, I know a lot about it, but what I've also tried to do, I feel like you've mentioned this earlier. I feel like you can get in a, a dangerous spot where you think you know too much. And I've been trying to reel myself back over mm-hmm. the last four or five months here because a lot of partnerships have worked out and I'm very blessed for the ones that I have and the ones that I'm in, in talks with, but some haven't worked out because I assume certain things and I, you know, you got to stop assuming. We all know the saying when you assume. So um, what advice can you give me? And, and again, with the context is very clear. Early stage, I have a lot to say. There's an incubator model, six week, eight week experience that I'm building. I have a lot to say to a founding team of five to 12, five to 20 around a lot of things that we talked about on this, on this podcast today. And then me and my team, and then on my team on the first idea as well, but me and my team also on the second half, we have a lot to say for late stage, right? Um, companies that are in growth mode, companies mm-hmm. that are 50, 70, 100, 200 employees, they're just growing rapidly. They're going to be hiring 50, 60, 100, 200 employees over the next 18 months. They're, they're, they're raising like crazy. Their the product is clearly a fit in the market. Um, I have a lot to do for them as well at a very white glove level. Partnerships with venture internally, whether it's a connector model where we get introduced to the startups or whether it's an integrated partnership where we are a partner, which every single company within a portfolio gets run through us to some degree. What advice can you genuinely, honestly, from your heart, being as though we'll hopefully be friends for years, what really can you give me? Because um, I would love to be able to just continue to work with you, anyone you work with, and just at a macro level, uh, I want this company to work and I, and I really believe in it. So what value and advice can you honestly give me? Yeah, so happy to. So it, from my experience, I've worked across co-working spaces, accelerators, pre-accelerators, funds, the things that the people who like myself who work at these funds are number one is protecting our portfolio. I'm sure um, many entrepreneurs know, and I'm not saying this is you, there are so an obnoxious amount of people like lawyers and consultants who target um, startup founders and entrepreneurs and are have, yes. some have good intentions and some don't. But it is, you know, starting a company, you don't have time (laughs) to mess around. So my job is to protect our portfolio and only give them introductions and resources that I have vetted a thousand percent. And the way that we do that is through seeing who shows up to serve. So the companies and the people and the things that I have done seem work best with in terms of partnerships with accelerators and funds is people who show up and are amazing mentors and who are at events. And really, I think for you is, is, and I'm learning this of how important a local community is of, you know, where you're at physically of diving into that region and being the most outstanding in a pre, mentor in, a pre-COVID in that world, area. Right? So I think it's, I would say pre-COVID and post-COVID, you know, I moved to Austin in mostly a virtual community. Um, There was only about two or three weeks, unfortunately, that I've been, you know, physically a part of the Austin community. But I spent, you know, March doing 100 virtual coffees to get to know people in my community. Um, So I think that, yes, everything is virtual, but sometimes that makes it a little bit more easy um, in different ways to get connected. So. I think for you, I think it's, I would be interested to see, I hate to say, I don't think, or it would never happen because oftentimes those are proved wrong, but accelerators are really hesitant, especially the top tier ones to make formal partnerships, but they let people who are awesome come in and help serve their portfolio companies. So I think it's, you know, it's a long-term game, but I think a lot of life is long-term game of just showing up being a part of the community, being an awesome mentor. I think it's that saying of serve, 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 and then the sell will happen. 
um, of once people get to know how knowledgeable you are and how helpful you are, um, then it's an, and it's an easy convert. So, I mean, going from a company who went through an accelerator, who talked to <laughs> quite a few consultants, the ones that we use were the ones that were the most helpful to us um, and gave us a lot of value up front. And we trusted um, with our baby, which was our startup. So I think my advice would be to just go mentor and serve the crap out of the community you already have. And then I think those, you know, those relationships. And then, and then I guess how I interpret that, 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 that advice, which was amazing is when I, when I, cause you, I'm going to continue to do this when I, you know, connect with individuals like you that I don't know originally um, and, and bring you onto the podcast and, and hopefully set, next conversations that that conversation would then probably look like a question like okay what can i do to 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 be a mentor to be to be a supporter to get entering in the community just to bring value and advice not and this is what i was going to do anyway but it's you're just validating it not hey you know like 25 percent of what i do can you give me an introduction it's rather than okay, what mentorship structures do you guys have set up? You know, what experiences do you guys have set up for your portfolio companies where I can come in and talk, come in and bring value and just, and just, and just try to, just try to be helpful. That's probably the, the overarching advice you're giving. Exactly. Because it's a lot easier, especially for my role to say, Hey, I know exactly how to get you plugged into the mentorship community. Um, and I know how to help you. If you say, hey, Courtney, how could I serve? I know how to plug you in versus, hey, Courtney, can you use your, you know, your work politics to help, you know, plug me along to get, you know, it's a lot easier to ask people, I think, to, hey, how can I help serve? How can I be a part of this community? So I think that's a strategic angle for any business is just to figure out how to show up and serve. Um, and that was some of the best advice I got when trying to figure out how to be an investor. They said, instead of trying to go find companies, go find founders to serve and you'll get plugged into a community. If you show up and say, hey, founder, how can I help you? You're going to get more connections than you ever need. But it's much more. And I think you're you're super genuine. Um, so yep. I think that comes to your nature of just how can I help? How can I serve? And I always think the business. I think that was amazing um, advice. Thank you. Um, where can I, if you want people to find you, I've, I've gotten, I've gotten a couple of different reactions to, to this question. So <laughs> if you want people to find you or to talk to you, where can that happen? Yeah. So I am, you can email me Courtney real at capitalfactory.com. Always happy to help and serve, especially um, if you are in the state of Texas, um, help get you plugged into resources that we have here. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, always happy to connect and um, always happy to help make introductions and get you plugged in there. And then you can also find me on Twitter, which I'm not that active there, um, but probably where I'm most active is Instagram. So coming out, I'll do a little plug here in 2021, we are relaunching the Real Capitalist podcast. So Another great podcast to add to your list to listen to. We're really excited about that. And um, interviewing people that look like you and I and a diverse set of founders and entrepreneurs and venture capitalists and, and really helping to help people see it. Because I don't think if you can't see it, you can't be it. So um, that's my life mission is to help more people figure out how to- Can you give me 75% out of 100 promise that you will consider seriously me being a guest on the podcast? I would love to. So originally the podcast was female founders well. only. So <laughs> we've respun that a little bit. Our goal is to highlight female founders in venture capitalists. Um, and now we're setting that to more broad states. So I'm really, you know, my life passion, I think it's really good to know what you're passionate about is female entrepreneurship and females in VC. Um, but I realize that people also want to hear from a lot of different voices and there's a lot of different things well, going fun on fact. in the world. So, um, I'm sorry, I was going to say I'm fun really fact. Excited. Uh, I have two female co-founders, so I think I may have just slid my way in there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we'll get you all three on the show. 
All right, um, I appreciate it. I'm going to edit fun. this up here. I'm going to uh, send it over to you, and then I'm going to request a meeting to see if I can be a mentor to anybody uh, and see if there's any introductions you can do for me to just try to bring values. I'm going to take your advice on that. Um, and uh, we will talk very soon. Enjoy the rest Love of your it. day.